1: Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip a practicing midwife who is on a mission to provide you with real evidence-based information about pregnancy, birth and the postpartum. Each episode I'll be joined by special guests and leading experts to equip you with all the information you need for an empowered journey from conception right through to motherhood. So with no further ado let's make a cuppa and get started with today's episode. So, on this week's episode, I am joined by consultant obstetrician Amna to discuss the ins and outs of assisted and instrumental birth. This is a subject that causes much anxiety amongst expectant mums. So, I'm delighted to have Amna on with her expert knowledge to provide you with a guide as to what to expect and to help to put your mind at ease. Amna describes her job as a privilege. And having worked with her in the past, I've witnessed how passionate she is about supporting women with medical conditions and for whom their labour journey has a few hiccups along the way. As a mum to a little three-year-old and a five-year-old, Amna understands the importance of providing women with informed choices and supporting them to have a safe, empowering birth in whichever way is right for them. So welcome, Amna, and thank you so much for joining
0: me. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. I'm I'm really chuffed. <laughs> I'm
1: really like <laughs> quite excited, a little bit nervous. Ah, uh, no, not at all, not at all. It's amazing to have a consultant obstetrician on who has, I guess, kind of quite a, a midwifey view to obstetrics. And I that's one of the things I absolutely love about when I've worked with you and speaking to you as well. Um, because I think assisted birth or instrumental birth is something that sometimes kind of brings so much fear to expectant mums and and pregnant women. So can you just kind of demystify it for us a little bit and explain what it actually means when we talk about assisted birth?
0: Yeah. So um assisted birth is um is when you need a little bit of help to get baby out. So it's usually done by obstetric doctors, not midwives. Um and the what it involves either using a forceps or a ventouse cup to help deliver baby. And usually it's because um, either baby is distressed or more commonly it's because when your baby is born and when as the head comes down through the vagina, through the, through the cervix, through the pelvis, it kind of needs to come around the U-bend and sometimes it's just backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And we just need to give you a little bit of help of holding the baby there so that baby can progress through, through and out through the perineum and through the vagina so as I said it's actually quite a common thing so about 10 to 15 percent of women will have an instrumental delivery Um, more common if it's your first baby so as as you say it's really important that people know about it because actually it shouldn't be scary it's not a scary thing it's just making sure that we are doing what's right for you and your baby and helping helping you along if you need it And there can be lots of reasons why it happens and none of them are anything really... To do with how good you are at giving birth it's not a competition it is just about having healthy mums and healthy babies and that involves being healthy mentally as well so being prepared being able to talk about it being able to raise your concerns really while you are pregnant so you need to know about it if you want to raise any concerns and also then being able to talk to people about it and talk to obstetric doctors or midwives and just making sure that we're doing all the right things um
1: right right things for you really yeah, that's amazing because I've never yet met a woman who's written on their, their birth plan or their birth preference list that they'd really, really like a forceps birth or they really yeah. like a one tooth birth. <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and we understand that it's not kind of, I suppose, the ideal mode of birth, but that actually yeah. it's really, really got its place, hasn't it, in in Yeah, acceptance. I mean, it is, you know,
0: it is safe. It is safe. Is a safe birth. I mean, some, there are some women who the only way they can achieve a vaginal birth is by having a forceps or a Vontese delivery. So, for example, some women who have heart problems, a lot of them won't push, but they'll still achieve a vaginal delivery, which we know is, you know, the recovery is better than a cesarean. It, it's um, usually much more straightforward than a cesarean birth. Uh, and equally as I said it's it's it is really safe if it's done by the right people and it should be we are really lucky to work in a country where we're all trained to do it and those training needs are such a high standard you know you have to jump through so many hoops I spent 10 years training as a junior doctor before I became a consultant and you know you start from day one and you watch what normal birth is and actually what a forceps or one Ts is mimicking that so it's you know even that RCOG says that it's really important for people learning to watch a straightforward spontaneous vaginal delivery just to watch what you know the mechanism by which the head delivers to watch midwives do vaginal births because they're trained to do that better than we are and to mimic that when we do when we do an instrumental birth so mimic the angle at which the baby's head comes out the timing you know it's a it should be a calm event it shouldn't be anything too forced and in the event that you need it because your baby is distressed you know we can still make that experience as any other experience with you having all the information and women and their birth partners being able to ask questions if they can and even if they can't at the time they should be able to do that afterwards but um, usually there is a bit of time just to say actually this is what we're going to do and also to coach the women through it people are awake they're able to talk to you 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 know we just talk to them and we say this is we can explain exactly what we're doing and I think what I would say to women is if you're really unsure about what's going on most doctors should say, do you want me to tell you what we're doing? And most doctors should tell you when to push or when not to push. And you, you know, your whole team, your birth partner, your the midwife that's looking after you through that labour, the doctor and usually there's an extra person in the room and you know you're all one team and our aim is just to keep you safe and keep your baby safe. So actually it shouldn't be a daunting thing. It should be um safe and it should be definitely something that you can prepare for should you need it. And as I said it's so common that it's just
1: good to know about it just in case exactly much better that you're informed and then you don't need that information then all of a sudden you're thrown around all these terms that you don't quite understand in your birth journey and yeah. so Anna, we talked about um the the Ventus and the forceps options and why would there can you just describe kind of what the two are i suppose and kind of why you might opt for one over the other
0: yeah, so it's really important that you use the single best instrument. So you use either a forceps or a Vontouze. Very rarely we might use a Vontouze than a forceps. Occasionally that can happen. But we do know that using more than one instrument can make um, the risk to baby a little bit higher because they have slightly different risk profiles for babies and for mums. So the Vontouze is a cup that sits on the baby's head. And the, the really amazing thing about the cup is that actually what we need to do is kind of bend uh, bend baby's neck or flex baby's head to help deliver baby. And your perineum and your pushing will do all the rest of the work. And that's where that cup comes from. So there are lots of different types of cup and where you, whichever hospital you're working in will have the cup that they normally use. Some people call a cup a kiwi because there's one called a kiwi want there's also a silk cup, which is a soft thing that looks like a sink plunger, which most people are aware of. Um, and then there's a, a metal cup, which isn't used as much as it used to be, but that can be used for a rotational delivery. So the Von Toos Cup, um, it has, as I said, everything has got risks and benefits for mums and for babies. So with the Von Tuse Cup, we know that actually the risk of you getting a uh, bad tear in the perineum is lower so maternal trauma is much lower um, but the risk of the baby possibly having a bit of bruising or swelling on their head is a little bit higher and rarely they can get something called a subglial hemorrhage which is a bleed kind of just under the skin in between the brain which can make them quite unwell so it's just getting that balance right and i would normally use a Twos for uh, delivery usually in the delivery room Um, and in a good position and quite low down because actually all we need to do is bring baby's head down into a good position in the perineum and then mums can push babies out. It's pretty simple. The forceps um, are also, they look scary, but they're not. They're actually really gentle. When you see them and you hear them, you think, oh, my goodness, are they going to go, me? Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to my baby? But actually, they're very clever. There's lots of different types of forceps. The main ones you'll see are something called Neville Barnes, which are low forceps. And what they do is they basically just cup baby's head. So it's a little bit like if you were holding your baby's head kind of um, on either side, covering their ears. And all you're doing is using that to grip baby. So there's no pulling on their head. It's kind of, kind of surrounding their head. And you're doing the same thing. You're just flexing or bending baby's head so they come down through and around the U-bend in a good position. So the forceps actually are much safer for babies. So they might cause some bruising on the face, but we know that babies are um, have very sensitive skin. We know they're easily, but they tend to disappear within about 24 hours. But for a mum, you've got a slightly higher risk of having tears or maternal perineal tears. Um, and you might be more likely to have an episiotomy, which is a cut in the perineum, to help deliver baby through that, and that's just because the forceps are a little bit wider than a ventus cup, because the cup sits on baby's head, it's not wider than baby's head, because the forceps go around baby's head, they're a little bit wider, and sometimes forceps are used um, that rotate babies, so if babies are in a funny position, for example, we like babies to come out looking at the ground, because they are much narrower than them. that's the best way to be born, some babies come out facing the sky, and um, they take a bit longer, but that's fine, but occasionally babies are lying facing left or right and those babies need to be rotated Um, I don't use rotational forceps because that's not how I've been trained I tend to use my hand to rotate baby and then use forceps but you can have forceps that are used to turn baby and in those situations we tend to go to the operating theatre um, because it's really important to have a very good anesthetic so that you're nice and comfortable. But also if baby isn't going to turn or come down that way, then a cesarean might be a better option for your birth and it would be safer for you and your baby to be somewhere that you're comfortable enough and you've got all the right equipment to do that if we needed
1: to. Amazing. Thank you. I think that that I'm helps women, I past. think. No, I'm no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the the beauty of a podcast is people can slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Minus two. Minus <laughs> two. And I love the fact that kind of, I think, for women helps explain that the assistance that you're providing with instruments is literally just helping with that normal physiological process that their body's doing. Um, So it's not kind of you taking over. It's very much a partnership in that the lady is still very responsible for doing those amazing pushes to birth their baby. And then the obstetrician on the other end is just supporting that process.
0: Yeah, I mean, essentially, we're just directing the baby in the right direction. So as I said, there's lots of different reasons why you might need an instrumental delivery um, if the baby is distressed and needs to come out quickly. And in that situation, you might find that you have a, a, you know, just what sometimes women call a lift out. So it just means that baby's just there and just needs that extra help to come around the U-Bend. And I said, the woman does all the pushing. You just guide them in the right direction. You're guiding the baby in the right direction. And it's not, although we talk about pulls, it's not really pulling. It's more just directing. And actually the Kiwi Kiwi Vontus is really sensitive. It's really clever but you have to know how to use it for it to work the way it should do. And actually it will come off if you pull too hard. And similarly with the forceps, people hear lots of horror stories about people hanging off the bed. I mean, I think that's old fashioned. I don't think that happens very much. But what you might find is that you are pushing and the obstetrician kind of disappears because what we're trying to do is Ben kind of flex the baby's head. And actually that's quite an exaggerated, almost like a J shape. So we tend to go down before we come up again. And you'll find lots of obstetricians only use one hand if they know that they're quite strong. I'm not very strong. I often use two hands, but it's about the direction rather than the actual strength. And that's why me. I have no upper body strength and I'm five foot two and I can still deliver a four kilo baby vaginally if that's the way they want to come out so you know it's not about strength it's about direction and I think that it's really important that the woman actually is still pushing and actually you still need them to push I won't be able to do it if you can't do it either so you know it is that physiological kind of um, method of birth or just directions all we're doing is directing them and actually we need you to push for it.
1: Yes, it's a good bit of teamwork, isn't it? And I think with forceps as well, when people see forceps, they look absolutely terrifying, don't they? And they look humongous. Right. And it's important that women realise that they're not all going inside the oh, vagina. Yeah. yeah, it's literally the top bit. And yeah. the thing is, the baby's head's already in the
0: vagina. So actually, um, it you know, the baby's head's got to come out and they're not that much wider than that. So it is, you know, and, and also the vagina is really forgiving, which is a really weird thing to say but it is you know it's designed for it it stretches that's what part part of labor part of everything everything is stretching up and that's why it's important we talk about kind of controlling the delivery and watching normal birth and watching how controlled those deliveries are because that's what we're mimicking because actually we've got to give time for everything to stretch you know we've got to give time for the head to be born as it would normally be born yeah yeah I think they do look scary they're made of metal and you know it's it it does look scary. And the other thing that I think we have we've kind of touched on is making sure that women have the right um, pain relief on board. So um, with a vantage, you might you might not need very much pain relief because it is just the baby's head. So uh, if um, someone is birthing and they don't have um, an epidural, or they don't—they're using gas and air. Then usually with a one-two, so you can put some local anaesthetic into the perineum to help kind of get rid of that burning pain, but also keep people pushing. Um, and um but with a forceps, you're much more likely to need something more like a spinal anaesthetic, which is an injection or an epidural, because actually that stretch—you're stretching the vagina a lot more, and that—that's what's going to hurt you, and that's what's going to cause that horrible pressure. So it's really important, um, and all the obstetricians should know that you make sure that someone has the right level of pain relief because actually you you can, you know, it's very important to work out where you're going to deliver them but it's a good enough reason to take someone to an operating theatre just because actually they've got no pain relief on board and it's really important that you don't feel so much what's going on in that situation and that you're completely relaxed to help birth baby and actually if you're really sore and really tense then apart from it being terrible for you um, it's actually not very easy to deliver babies in the same way that if you are um, tense when you're pushing a baby out without an instrument actually that's really hard if you're not relaxed enough to do that and let kind of go with the flow of that so it's just really important as with all labors to talk about right amount of pain relief um, and that that if you are if it's hurting you then you need to be able to tell people actually you need to stop and midwives are really good at advocating i have to say they will often say you know you need to stop we need some better pain relief and actually it's really important that women are empowered enough to say actually this is really hurting me
1: yeah, definitely. Using our voices is so, so important. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about, um, so the vuntus, we sort of just said there that that quite often happens just in the room, so wherever the lady was yeah. labouring anyway. But with yeah. forceps, I think one of the terms that that we hear a lot is something called a trial of forceps. Yeah. What does that kind of mean or, or what would that look like for a woman? So, a tr- so when you say a trial
0: of forceps it's usually um, because the baby is in a funny position so as I said we like babies to come out tucked up tuck, facing downwards and um, if your baby is facing to the side or back to back then um, we might need to rotate baby or turn baby into a better position either with the forceps or our hand um, and in order for us to do that you need to be very comfortable so completely relaxed and comfortable but there's a chance that baby might not turn baby may not come out regard- with the forceps even if baby does turn or baby gets distressed during that process and in that situation situation as i said a cesarean birth is probably the better option for mums and for babies and um, we also sometimes um it's, so it's called a trial because it's a trial of a vaginal delivery so either the baby will come out um from down below or the baby will come out from a uh, cesarean section but we're in the safest place and we do that all in one go we don't move people in between um occasionally If a baby is in the right position um, but is a bit higher up in the pelvis, or we're worried that actually it's a very big baby and there's signs that maybe the delivery is not going to be as straightforward, you might still then go to the operating theatre and that would be a trial of instrumental delivery as well. So what tends you tend to have a written consent form when you go to theatre in all but those kind of very run down the corridor category one deliveries or are worried about mums and babies and if that is the case they'll usually write trial of instrumental delivery plus or minus a cesarean and they should explain to you what that means as well Um, and as i said with the forceps you might then have a a tear or an episiotomy which would be stitched up straight afterwards and you should have the right pain relief for that too but I think a lot of women get worried when they go to theatre and they have something written a trial of instrumental plus or minus a cesarean because they fear they're worried that they'll have a tear down below and a cesarean section scar which isn't something that happens at all really I've never I've never seen it and if I have maybe once and it probably was it was in um, someone that had been pushing for quite a long time um, and they had quite a swollen vagina and actually they just needed one stitch to stop some bleeding but actually other than that I've just never seen it because when we do episiotomies we tend to do it at the point where baby's head is coming out so it's unlikely that we're going to end up doing a cesarean so I think women are really scared of that and often I have to say oh no we won't do both of these things but one or the other.
1: Yeah that's a really good point isn't it because with are with we're the, we're the forceps it is almost standard that we do that episiotomy to reduce the risk of of kind of extensive trauma or third and fourth degree tears that the terms that women might hear Um, so it's a really good point that actually yeah like you say the the is done kind of at the point of no return really your baby's coming yeah. vaginally and we and we know your baby's coming vaginally and and you're not going to have stitches down below and then a cesarean section wound as well because that that would be rather horrific wouldn't it yeah, Sorry, I, I mean
0: I, I definitely have heard of it being done but I've never seen it myself and I just think it's just not I, I just don't think it happens that often I think you know Nothing is ever unheard of in eccentric, as you know, but um, I've never seen it, and I think that's pretty reassuring in ten years. But yeah, yeah. We'll I've take those odds? <laughs> I've worked, yeah, I've worked, I've worked around around the southwest region, so I mean, it's, I think that's you know, I feel like
1: it's some experience. Yeah, for sure, and as. As your kind of role as an obstetrician and your kind of team of obstetricians, what I think tends to happen most places, but I'd always encourage women if it hasn't them to ask, is that they meet you at at some point in their labour. So that if they are requiring some assistance for their birth, when their obstetrician comes in, they're not a stranger they are some they're a familiar face so you've already met met the woman and you understand their birth pathway and preferences and at the point of them needing some assistance you're then a nice familiar face that comes in to meet them
0: yeah I think I mean I think it's really important so uh everywhere I've worked we tend to do ward rounds and I think um we tend to know about the woman regardless so if you're on a delivery suite especially on a consultant-led unit every the doctors working on that shift will know that um sorry (laughs) we'll know that um the background of everybody what's going on in that room what's going on with baby's heart trays and the midwives will update the board so we know how dilated they are so i think um it's really important that you meet your um meet your sorry about that that's all right (laughs) anyway that you um, meet the team that are delivering you now in some cases if it's really busy you might not be or it's a you know something that's happened very quickly you might not meet the team until they are there talking to you but there should be a point at which you meet people if you are under consultant led care most people would come in and say hello or if not you'd know that they were around and they may come in kind of getting to the point where thinking we might need to be involved, we would come in to say hello to you and just so you can see our faces because actually it's not very nice um, just to meet people in those kind of slightly stressful situations, it's better to meet them. But if that doesn't happen, and you don't meet them before, you almost certainly will see them afterwards because you know we still always come back and talk to women about what happened, why it happened, and also to talk about maybe next time if it, you know, if it's likely to happen again. So it's just useful to have that kind of debrief, which I think is part of instrumental bird. So it's important to have that first initial meeting where you talk about what you're going to do we're going to do it and then make sure afterwards you know even if that is just straight afterwards or if it's the next day it's important just to go through why why whatever happened happened and i think the way that we're working with shifts it's not as easy but usually someone will be able to talk to you if you have any questions and then if if not Uh, and you feel like you have questions later you can always ask for a debrief appointment where an obstetric doctor or a midwife can go through the notes and just go through what happened and talk about kind of the future because at the time you're often exhausted you have no no idea what time of day it is you're kind of a bit you know in love with your baby and you think actually I don't really want to think about anything else but then you know you get to three or three or four months down the line you're thinking well actually I don't really know why that happened and it's important to be able to ask those questions so it's it's important that we go back and talk to women about why it's happened and it does Necessarily have to be the doctor that did the delivery, but although we, I personally love doing that because I quite like to go and cuddle some babies, but um you know anybody can look through your notes and talk you through why it happened you know we often have written the indication and we know you know people write comments about how difficult it was or why it may not or may happen next time and as I said in your first pregnancy it's more like a one in three chance of having an instrumental or assisted delivery which is why it's so important to know about it whereas you know when we look at all pregnancies it's maybe one in eight I think 10 to 15 percent so um you know it's a, it's not it's not uncommon but it it probably is easier in a second pregnancy so it's good to have that information from your first
1: yeah most definitely and amna i think sometimes obstetricians get a little bit of a bad rap when it comes to kind of labor and birth and i think sometimes women feel like if the obstetrician comes in the room then they almost want to interfere or or and yeah. sort of, kind of start some cascade of intervention but that's really inaccurate isn't it because actually from your point of view your job is um super satisfying and to some extent a little bit easier if women don't require your intervention oh,
0: yeah definitely i completely agree I I think I was talking to one of my obstetric friends about this the other day and I was just saying the thing is although I really love love my job uh actually I'd rather not do instrumental deliveries I'd rather not do cesarean sections I much prefer and I've spoken to you about this before but I just really like the normal delivery I think it's amazing and if I could watch them uh, uh and not have to do anything that'd be brilliant so you know we really are there as a kind of if we're needed so even if you're Birthing on a consultant-led unit, which, you know, it's everyone's choice, that you don't necessarily need to see any doctors. You can have kind of a low-risk midwifery birth anywhere. And on a consultant-led unit, you might have a little bit more monitoring um, and you might have a medical condition that needs monitoring. But actually, your birth can be without an obstetrician. We don't need to be there. And as you say, I can do my job without having to deliver all the babies. (laughs) I do like delivering babies, so one or two isn't bad. But I never really want to intervene because actually it's much... Better if I don't. Sometimes it's much better, much nicer for women that they don't have 50 people in the room, that they don't need, um, they don't, you know, they don't need any other intervention. Their body is doing what it should normally do, uh, and that their baby is happy to do that too. Sometimes the body, you know, the baby just decides to be stuck in a different position, and that's not anything to do with the woman. It's just that for that labour, the baby is in that position, and we're really lucky that we can intervene and deliver deliver women. But equally. Some women just don't need it, which is fine
1: in fact it's great yeah it is great it's great but for women that are on it are deciding to give give birth on an obstetric unit or actually just in hospital in any way please please don't be scared by an obstetrician coming to see you because as amna is beautifully explaining they are wonderful wonderful people um and they are there to support your birth and make sure you're safe and not to not to i guess cause like a battle because i think sometimes women feel like they're they're gonna have a battle with their obstetrician to to not do certain things like when we see things on birth plans like I don't want forceps or I don't want an episiotomy, and they're very much there to support your preferences and give you the informed choices and support whatever choice you make and you're never going to be faced with a battle just because you've got an obstetrician present they're really there to keep you safe
0: yeah and I think that the most important thing about those discussions and those birth plans is if you if you if you are somebody that says, I absolutely will not have a forceps for whatever reason, you know, it might be that you've heard terrible things. It might be that you, you've got a relative or you've watched something that's awful and it's really traumatizing you and you think I will never, ever, ever have a forceps. It's really, really important to speak about that antenatally because actually, if someone came to see me in my clinic and they said, there is no way I'm having a forceps, I'm just not doing it, then I think we have to have a discussion about whether a vaginal birth or aiming for a vaginal birth is the right thing for, for you because actually, Saying I absolutely am not having a forceps to the first time you've met an obstetrician being fully dilated and needing one, actually, it's really hard to say, well, actually, this is the safest thing for you. Whereas if you've had that discussion before, then you know about the risks and the benefits and you know why we might do it. So we've got a bit more time to explain. So while um, we are not there to ruin anyone's birth journey, and while, as you say, we're there to support people, if someone said to me, there's no way I'm having a forceps, then in my mind, I think we need to talk about other modes of delivery, because we just can't guarantee you won't have a forceps. And as I said, sometimes the forceps are much better than a Avantu's, and actually we are trained to decide which one is better, and we don't want to use two instruments, we want to use one, and if a forceps is the most appropriate one, we are... All trained to use them safely and we should all be practicing that safety. And if you are in a hospital where there are lots of training junior doctors, you might find that you've got a more junior doctor doing your delivery, but actually you've got a very experienced doctor supervising and the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is very clear in saying there must always be somebody that is experienced there. And also it's got lots of safeguards in place. So if baby isn't coming down or baby isn't turning or baby is distressed, we know there and then that is the time to stop. And I think that's really important that you know we are as safe as we can be and unfortunately sometimes um people get mums get perineal tears which can take a long time to heal and they can have complications with that very occasionally babies will have bruising or they may have those that that hemorrhage but the they are less often than common and actually it's about the whole the whole um scenario and making sure that we're doing the right thing in that specific situation so there would be times where you might not want a forceps but you need an assisted birth and the forceps is a much better option than having a von twos which may fail and then put baby at risk by having another another instrument put on and also then changing changing in between can be very stressful for mums and for the person delivering the baby and for the people watching because actually you're watching all of this happen. And what we want is a nice, calm, straightforward delivery and sometimes using one instrument over the other is the right option. But if you are worried about it, it's really important to flag that up and it's really important to speak to an obstetrician because there, there will be times where you just won't be able to choose, which is horrible, and we try and limit those times. But actually it, it's the reality of birth that sometimes... Things change very quickly and equally the person doing the delivery may choose that instrument because that's what they're more familiar with and they really feel they need to get your baby out. So that is the safest option at that
1: time. Definitely. And antenatal education and that counselling is just so important, isn't it? And I think one of the other things that we sometimes end up with if we don't have that proper antenatal information or I guess turn a little bit of a blind eye to things like assisted birth is a kind of connotation where women feel like they failed at birth in some way if they have an, an assisted delivery, which as a midwife makes me so, so sad because I cannot understand how you could possibly fail at bringing your baby into the world regardless of how that happens or the twists and turns your labor might have and we really need to move away from that because women should feel so strong and powerful and capable after birth and not like they failed in some way no absolutely not and I think that's
0: part of why it's important to go back and talk to people so if you haven't been able to have that conversation beforehand to go back and say look this is your baby you are really well your baby is really well and it may not be the way that you planned it um but hopefully we've made that as positive for you as possible um and I think it's really important it's
1: I'm really
0: kidding. important <laughs> 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 that women feel that
1: women feel um, Wow. She doesn't quite understand why mummy's talking to me and not to her. No, <laughs> it's I'm not well, very fair. come back and I, uh, she's just walked in like this. Oh. She's taken for a cuddle by her dad. <laughs> I don't I love it. it. She, I think she might be missing her mummy. but she, <laughs> The joy of recording during COVID-19 when we're know. all at home is fine.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm doing it from rush, working from home, rushing home. But, uh, <laughs> Yes. Um, sorry, what were we saying? We were saying, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think it is. that's why it's important to go back and speak to them and say why this happened. And also to... To think, one of my consultant colleagues at work said to me, the thing is, a forceps or a volunteer actually is a life-saving intervention because if you were somewhere where you didn't have those facilities, and in the past, so um, in third world countries, or not in the very, you know, in quite the near past, women that have babies that are in funny positions or women that have babies that were distressed, you know, there, there would be a real chance that either mum would be damaged the baby would be damaged and die and end up in an obstructed labour for days and days and days going to get help. So actually the intervention um, is there just to help you but, you know, there's no failure in that. It's actually really good that we're able to help if we need to but also I don't think that you go into a labour thinking right well my baby's going to be facing left and I'm still going to push them out because actually nature just does not push babies out facing sideways and sometimes some people need a bit of direction but it's just direction it's not taking anything away from the fact that you've grown a baby you've birthed the baby you've looked after yourself therefore you've looked after the baby and you've made a responsible decision to you know birth by looking at the pros and cons of birth, wherever you feel is appropriate for you. And also that you understand that sometimes things aren't straightforward because actually they're not. But most of the time they are, but sometimes they're not. And you've got that help if you need it. And there's no failure in that. I, don't, I, just, don't, I just don't think it's a word that we should be using for anything to do with delivering a baby. It doesn't matter definitely how you do yeah. I know that what's right for one person is definitely not right for another person. So actually the job is to do what's right for you. And yeah. sometimes that means an, a vaginal delivery with an instrument on baby's head or a vaginal delivery on its own. You know, that there, there are so many different ways to become a mum that there is no failure in any of those options. Because actually, at the end of it, as I said, it's really important to have healthy mums and healthy babies. And if we can do that without anything, great. But if we need to do that, that's no failure. It's just that we need to do it. And we're lucky that we're able to. We're lucky that we've got those interventions. We've got people that are trained to do it. Uh, we it's just it's just really I think yeah it's it's no failure on anybody's part and I think sometimes in medicine we're a bit old-fashioned I think often we write things like failure to progress so that's not you failing that's the labor not progressing it's just an old-fashioned word so if I was speaking to somebody and they would have an instrument delivery for sometimes it's written as FTP or failure to progress I'm doing it inverted commas and actually that means that your labor hasn't progressed as we would expect, or you've pushed for a long time and we don't want you pushing for hours and hours and hours because either you will get tired your baby will get tired also your perineum will not be happy if you push for two hours so we need to have a happy medium and a balance to that so none of that is failure it's just recognition that something isn't quite right and correcting it so it's not failure; it's corrective birth. Let's call it. Let's not call it a failure of. Yeah, that's. Birth. A, I love that correcting. That's
1: brilliant. I think we should. We should bring that in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, but then people might get worried that they weren't correct. But it's oh, yeah, you know,
1: true, it's a true.
0: Problem. But um, I no think one, of... no one goes into it as you say, saying, "I'd really like a forceps or a one choose." Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: I always think of it, birth and labour, as a little bit like our journey to Gatwick Airport, in that you don't really know what's going to happen on the way. You might have to stop for a wee. There might be traffic. You might have to stop for something to eat. But you know that when you get there, there's something amazing at the end, and that's okay, kind of the birth amazing. of your baby. Yeah, but that's what yeah, they're really Yeah, that does sound good. And it's um and my husband's a pilot. Oh <laughs> so so that was I actually didn't know that.
0: <laughs> so I feel like it's like takeoff and landing. You know, those are the bits that you're not really sure how it's gonna take how it's gonna happen. So getting pregnant can sometimes be a bit tricky, even if the pregnancy is straight, you know, there might be a bit of turbulence in the pregnancy, and it's a landing that is often the more difficult thing to do. So you can plan and plan and plan and plan, but actually the wind might be blowing a bit funny, the runway you usually land on might be closed, uh you might uh, there might be loads of other airplanes that are, uh, that are going to land at the same time. So you have to circle around for a while. So it's exactly the same. It's your landing that we've got to get. But actually, as long as you get to the ground safely, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you land maybe at the different airport. You have to get a bus to your destination or you land a bit late or you land a bit early. But actually, as long as you land safely, I think, you know, they don't say failure to land. They'd never say that in aviation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, they never say failed. They just say, oh, um, you know we've had to make some we have to take some measures to make sure that you are safe it's exactly the same we take some measures to make sure you're safe
1: yeah i love that you can tell that we've both worked through lockdown Amna, and need a holiday <laughs> can't you It's all our airport <laughs> yeah, chat.
0: Yeah, to to gatwick? not to gatwick though i don't like gatwick but yeah <laughs> if anyone would like to fly with get two that's
1: who my husband works <laughs> <laughs> not so well <laughs> i love yeah. it and so yeah. uh, just moving away from the airport and back to um, assisted birth just just for a moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just wonder for for a lady in labour who is um kind of going down the assisted birth route i just wonder what that looks like for her in terms of kind of vaginal examinations and position and bladder care and those kind of things that sometimes we maybe overlook slightly
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, so what will happen is if, um, there is a concern about baby their heart rate so usually if you're in labour you have a. Con- you can either have two different types of monitoring so you have intermittent auscultation where the midwife will listen in um, after every contraction and then every five to ten minutes depending on which which um, stage of labour you're in or you have continuous monitoring so most women that have an instrumental birth will be on continuous monitoring either because they've been pushing for a long time and they've either had to be transferred from a midriffy led unit or they've got an epidural sometimes that increases your chance of having a continuous monitoring, um, or if you've had intermittent hospitalization and there's been a concern about baby's heart rate, they're then put on a, um, a, a continuous monitor. So, if there's a concern with the monitoring, or you've been pushing for a long time then they will usually get a doctor to come and see you or you might find that after an hour of pushing actually the guidance is that the midwife looking after you might want to examine you again just to see which way baby's facing to see how well, how well baby is coming down or, and they might do some direct pushing with you then the, the obstetrician would come in and what they tend to do is examine you and I usually get people to do some pushes just to see how well baby is moving and I like to see how well baby reacts on the, card, on the um, heart rate monitor as well uh, but once we've made the decision to do an instrumental delivery and we've talked about where we're going to do that and we get to the point of doing it it's really important to empty your bladder and the reason for that is that we want to give baby as much room as possible to come down and you might think your bladder doesn't play that much of a part but actually it plays a massive part because it's a bit like having a pillow under your head if it's full And if you think that the bladder can t- contain half a litre sometimes women in labour can have way more than that in their bladder and it can stretch and that will stop the baby's head from coming down so actually it's important to have the bladder completely empty and we talked about making sure that you've got really good pain relief on board um, and then what the doctor wants to do is examine you and the examination might be a bit longer than previously because actually they've got to work out which way your baby is facing they also look at signs that maybe baby's got themselves into a funny position or is a bit stuck so sometimes your baby can have swelling on their head because they've been coming down in a funny position and pushing against something that isn't going to come out um, or um, baby's skulls um, the bones in their skull are kind of quite soft and malleable and sometimes if you've been pushing for a long time or baby's in a funny position they can start to overlap that's something called moulding. The swelling on baby's head something called caput if you hear people talking about that so it's important to make an assessment of the pelvis and work out what position your baby is in, the caput and the moulding but also the baby stations so where they are in relation to the issue of your spines because that will determine whether an instrumental birth is safe. So they need to be a bit lower than something called your spines. And they sometimes talk about a number. So they say no plus one plus two, depending on how low baby is. And the other things that are important for them to do is also maybe have a feel of your tummy. So don't be allowed to have a feel of your tummy first. I always do that. And I think it, we know it's really important to make sure that your baby's head is well down because we can be deceived vaginally. So it's important to feel your tummy and check where baby is there. They should be naught fifths. or really one fifths can be accepted Um, so once we've worked out which way baby is we've emptied your bladder we've got you to push and baby still isn't coming that's when we would then go for the instrumental option Um, and as I said you can have local anaesthetic so that might then be put in at the time of the instrumental and that might be just something in your perineum or occasionally we do something called a pudendal block which blocks the nerves in the vagina and you can do a forceps delivery quite comfortably with a pudendal block um and otherwise we talk about maybe going to theatre doing a spinal or if you've got an epidural sometimes um some hospitals have got something called an instrumental top-up so they can make you a bit more numb and um uh you might find that that pressure that you had might not be there so much to push. It's really important to remember how to push. And then usually we'll be talking you through what we're doing. Um, and we get you to push and it's really important the baby comes down with each push. So we might see more of baby's head with the first pull. We call it a pull but we're not really pulling, remember it's just direction. Um, and then at some point we tell you to stop pushing. That's usually when baby is crowning, we just let the um let the contractions do the work. Um, and then once baby's head is out we then prepare for the rest of the baby which is always a bit quicker than the head um, and then it, we'll just guide you as to when to push and when to stop, essentially. So with the episiotomy, it's usually cut when the perineum is nice and stretched and um, the baby's head is coming through. As we said, usually you have one or the other if you're going to have a trial. Um, and um, once the baby's head is out, we wait for the contraction for the baby's body. So, you know, it should be slow and timed. And Pip and I were talking before about how actually once we can see baby's head is coming, it's a time for everyone to go, right, this baby is going to come out vaginally. And we should have that kind of calm moment just before baby is born. And if you are having a two's and you've got a bit of local, local anesthetic in, you might still feel the same pressure and the same burning and stinging as baby's head is born. But that's just helping you to work out where to push and helping you to stop pushing and pant when you need to. And you can use some gas in there at that point if you need it. But once baby is out, then... Um, we, would, we should already do, be doing delay call clamping for about a minute. Um, and usually we will have a baby doctor or a neonatologist in the room and the resuscitator for the baby to go on to. So most babies will be, um, have delay call clamping and then be... Uh, I would usually bring babies up onto their mums if that's what they want and if baby is well then dads can cut the cord if not we might cut and clamp the cord and then go to the baby doctor and usually they're just a bit shocked and they think oh I've got to breathe I've got to do all these things that I didn't have to and usually that's because they've been very comfortable inside um but occasionally they, they might need a bit of extra help breathing if we've been concerned about baby's heart rate or they might just be shocked by the whole experience of being born and they might need a bit of stimulation but most babies will come out get a bit cold and cry and um, then they can be kind of skin to skin with mum straight away which is really lovely and that first bit where we're waiting for the cry is always a bit tense sometimes but it's not unusual for babies not to cry straight away it's just that they've suddenly been born from somewhere nice and warm to somewhere cold and been like oh hang on there's something not quite right here mm-hmm. um and once once um the cord has been cut and clamped you know mums are usually quite distracted by babies and dads and birthing partners mums and mums as well sometimes the <laughs> <distracted> <laughs> so we tend to do um we do an instrumental delivery we like to check baby's oxygen levels and we do that from the umbilical cord after the baby is born so they're cord gases just to see baby's oxygen at birth and then we would deliver the placenta and we'd usually recommend having the injection to deliver the placenta because if there's been a you know a very either a very rapid delivery or a very slow delivery that can increase your risk of bleeding um, and um, from a baby point of view we'd usually recommend they have vitamin k just because of that risk of extra bleeding having had an instrument on the head so once the placenta is out and you're all stitched up then we leave and you have those nice nice cuddles And then we should come back and talk to you. But depending on what time of day it is and what time of night, it might be delayed in the time that we're doing that
1: amazing so actually a lot of the things that ladies put in their birth preferences even with an assisted birth are all still facilitated aren't they there's not a massive change from the perspective of of all those other lovely things and we Mm -hmm. just talked about a few other people there so the the neonatologist or the baby doctor and the anesthetist and they often come with an assistant by their side and I think it's really important that women realize that sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming especially if you do move into a theater setting that you're not so familiar with and you've got all these other bodies that are Present and that can feel a little overwhelming, but everyone will introduce themselves, and it's really empowering to realize that all these experts are in this one room to keep you and your baby safe. So, I really encourage women just to rather than thinking of it being scary having all these strangers around, actually feel really fortunate and really empowered and safe that all these experts are there for you and your baby. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, if
0: we're moving to theatre, you often go through a nice, cozy like dimly lit birthing room into this brightly lit clinical theatre which is a massive change and and what you tend to find is because you're lying down you're on a bed and you've been reeled in people kind of drift over you and they say hello and they tell you their name and you think oh I'm never going to remember this or you don't care but actually you don't need to remember I think people are just trying to show your friend their friendly faces and you know it, it usually at that time you've got your midwife that's been taking care with you and she can explain what's going on to you and your partner actually it's quite scary for partners having um partners Wheeled into theatre without them, and then having someone kind of bring you through. So it's just important that we keep that communication going. And even in the biggest emergencies, there should always be someone communicating and always be someone reassuring you that um, what we are doing is for your safety or the baby's safety, or what we are doing is for X, Y, and Z.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that is while you're being wheeled down a corridor or you're having some socks put on your feet. But there's always that opportunity for that I communication. I have known to put socks on feet while talking to
0: women or put drips in their hands or let them know what's happening. You know, it's, it, it, it sometimes goes from naught to 100 miles an hour, but you'll soon find it slows back down to that nice comfortable 30 eventually. <laughs> it's just kind of getting to theatre or that truck moving, which is hard. And also you just feel completely out of control because you've been somewhere where you know everybody, you know, the faces you've been, you may have been in that room for hours and hours and hours and suddenly to be out and not, you know, out and being wheeled somewhere where you can't walk yourself and you can't touch things yourself. You know, it's quite, it's quite an experience. Um, And I can say that because that's happened to me and I know what that feels like. And that's somewhere where I know everybody, but you know, it still feels a bit daunting. You're like, Oh, this is a really interesting, view that I've got from down here when I'm used to being on the other side but and I yeah. think for as well it's important to just be reassured that everybody knows exactly what they're doing and you know we're, we're, I like to think of us in theatre a bit like a you know like a pit stop team like you know we all kind of slightly interchange roles like we all help to move women from their labour bed onto the theatre bed um, and then the anesis does their bit and then and we move the we move women up and down the bed and we put their legs up and the obstetric people do their bit. The midwife is there as a central person with the woman all the time and then the neonatologists do their bit. But actually, we're all working as a team to kind of get everything done efficiently
1: and safely. Yeah, we're a well-oiled machine, I think, I on the maternity I think it's great,
0: And I think, you know, even we, as junior doctors, we move around every year, but, you know, it's, really, it's a really familiar place, theatre. There's a really familiar team, even if you never met people Before, Actually, you know, your roles and everyone... We're trained to do it. You know, we do it all the time. Uh, I say all the time. We don't actually do it all the time. But, you know, we are trained in a way that we see it a lot before we do it so we can see the different roles in the interplay. But, you know, we don't always get it right. I think, you know, the stories of negative things have happened. So we don't always get it right. But we're striving to do our best in those situations for women. And if we don't do it right, I think it's really important for women to say, actually, that was rubbish. I had a terrible time, and this is why. So that if if we can even learn from that to make it better for the next woman, then that's an important thing. And I think I think we get it right sometimes, most of the time, actually. I feel like we do. But uh, there, there are some times where either the situation is very difficult uh, or it's just, you know, the team just doesn't work as well as it should. And that does happen. And I think we have to accept that for some women, we just won't get it right. But our main aim is to try our absolute hardest to
1: get it right in the same way that women will try their absolute hardest not to need us, I'm sure. Yeah, that's such a good point. I love that. And we spoke a little bit there about that feeling of loss of control, which I think is really interesting because actually, as a woman, even with a, an emergency or an, an instrumental birth, you're actually still completely in control, though it doesn't feel like it. Because at any point, if you say stop, no one will do anything to your body. And even yeah. when you've been advised that your baby is, for example, we call, we use the term fetal distress, don't we, and that we, we think your baby needs to be born and we want to assist you with that in whatever way is most appropriate and so women feel like they haven't got a choice but actually you have because you could say no and in my experience women don't say no because they want the help and so you've made that choice and although it felt like there wasn't much of a choice you've still made that choice for your body and your baby to be born safely so you are completely in control even though sometimes it feels like maybe you're not so much
0: Yeah, absolutely. As you say, we can't do anything without you saying yes. And most women will say yes. Some women I have looked after have said no, and that can be quite stressful, but it is just about talking about it again. But actually, we cannot do anything to you without your permission. So you are the person that's in control, and it needs to be you that says yes or no. It can't be your partner. It can't be the midwife. It can't be your mum. It has to be you that says, yes, please do. And usually we get you to sign a piece of paper. To say that we've explained it to you, and all that shows is that we've explained it to you. It doesn't say how well we've done it, but it says we've explained what's going on. Um, but you need to sign that piece of paper as well, which feels really odd. I think if you're like lying down in a bed and you've been pushing for two hours, and you think I just really want to see my baby, and they're like, "We well, sign this piece of paper," which seems yes. so insane, which I always think is quite funny. Uh, but um, we can't do it without your permission. And the, you know, if you we don't have your permission, then we, we can't do anything, and that can be really stressful for everybody involved. But that's why I think antenatal information is really Important. So the Royal College, the RCOG, has got a really good um, patient information leaflet about instrumental birth. So if you look, Google it it should come up. Um, And actually, the RCG have got some really good leaflets about lots of things, which I would encourage people to read if they feel like they want to know about something. And I think it's about saying, actually, these things happen. So if you'd like a bit more information, and I know when you get pregnant, and probably not so much in COVID, you guys get given about 100,000 pieces of paper that you never read, they just end up in your notes. So it's really good for women to know about it and want want to learn about it and go and read it. And actually, someone explained that to me, a few weeks ago, they were saying, well, you know, in the past, like in our parents' generation, if you wanted to know about instrumental birth, you'd have to go, go to a library that had medical books. You'd have to find an obstetric textbook. You'd have to understand the terminology that was being used. Whereas now, we write leaflets for people to read the, at any time they want to. So actually, when you've got your late-night insomnia and you want to read something, then this is good bedtime reading, if that's what you would like. And also, it's really good for partners as well. And as you said, I really like that women are prepared and don't need something than the first time you encounter it to be in a slightly stressful situation where you're very tired or um, your baby is distressed that you then have to process all this information because you just won't process it as much and that's when you might start feeling a bit out of control.
1: I completely agree. I think information is so powerful. And that when you think about things like forceps and Bontus births, actually, when you understand what what they're doing and the purpose of them and that partnership that you'll have with the obstetrician, it's so much less scary. And actually, you can have a really positive birth experience regardless of what interventions may be indicated to keep you and your baby lovely and safe. And I think it's important that women start empowering themselves because there's so much information out there. We need to just start absorbing it will be all be kind of sponges in pregnancy i think
0: yeah absolutely i think it's really easy to ignore what you don't want and i think that's fine i feel like uh, and i remember being pregnant i remember this feeling that actually you're just protecting you just feel like you're in this protectable, and I don't know why. I mean, I think that might be an evolutionary thing. You're just <laughs> everything's fine because you're just protective. But actually, it's really I'm lucky because I knew about it before. But it's good to know know that, and it's good to go out and get that information, and for partners as well. Like it's all available to you, um, and it's it's really important that we as healthcare professionals signpost women to it because actually. information is really important that there's a lot of bad information and there's a lot of scary information. And I think what you need to know is the facts and what you need to know is the numbers. And sometimes that just puts, for me anyway, it just puts it into a slightly context and actually it's like, Oh, okay, this is what happens. And I think you're right. That whole idea that we're here just to come and clang some forceps at you or scare you is just so, it makes me really sad because I don't want to be that person. But I know that to a lot of people I have been that person where people think Oh, this person has taken away all of the normality of my labor but you know in that circumstance and in those situations it's just really important that we talk about it it's much better done antenatally than it does at the time of labor and i think if you have a question just ask it midwives have heard the questions a 100 times before and if they don't know the answer they'll find out and the same with obstetricians we've honestly I've got a really stupid question it's never stupid and you know if I don't know the answer I'll go and find it out it's really good for me as well to know it and I think that especially about the things that we do every day we sometimes take for granted that other people know exactly what we're talking about and I think that that we've got to break down that jargon in order to give women the right information and the women that I look after when we talk about things like induction or cesarean section we talk about why we would do that the risks and the benefits of that and it's just about people having it in their minds that there's a possibility that it should happen but it doesn't necessarily mean it will. Uh, it's not about scaring women, it's just, as you say, about informing them that this could happen. And I think we talk about we consent people for so many things, but we don't ever consent women for vaginal delivery. We just don't, it's not something that we've done. And that probably would include the risk of a cesarean, the risk of a forceps delivery, and actually having that information is really important.
1: It really is, isn't it? And I'm really pleased that I've been able to speak to you, Amna, because I hope that women listening will feel like actually if they are offered Avon to sort of forceps birth or for any kind of reason, that actually they will feel like their obstetrician is your voice in that they are supportive and compassionate and giving them informed choices. And there's no kind of, um, kind of, kind of um they are still making that choice I suppose we're not taking that away yeah. from women and I really hope that that will will help women to feel kind of empowered regardless of how they they give birth eventually and what's right for them yeah. and everyone that comes on my podcast Amna I always ask for some top tips <laughs> so I wonder whether you could give us you're gonna to have to try and narrow it down to three which I know for Amna is going to be a struggle <laughs> Too hard. Too hard could you share with us your three top tips for women to help them feel kind of calm and empowered during an assisted birth and taking away that kind of fear factor really? So I think um, number one
0: is that everyone is there as you say to support you um, and what we are doing is to help you and to help baby. Um, The second is that when you get to the point of an instrumental delivery, it's really important to have the right pain relief. So if you really are sore or you really you really can feel things that you don't want to feel or um, you feel that people are moving too fast and actually you can't get your head around it just to speak up or to get your partner to say, hang on, just stop because people will stop uh and your midwife should be there as your advocate as well to be able to do that as well what's the third one? Oh yeah don't you think like it's a failure that's just not it just shouldn't be it, you know you're there you're doing it you're laboring you've got to fully dilated that's an achievement in itself some women don't get to that point and that's not wrong either it's just when we talk about labor i feel like in thousands of years of medical research we still don't know why some women do labor early why some women don't labor why it's hard to induce women because we use a one fits all attitude and obviously that's not right so it's really important to know that you've done everything that you can and sometimes the situation arises it's a bit like having a car isn't it like you could buy the most expensive car and think it's going to be absolutely fine but it's not your fault it's broken down it's just done it because for whatever reason you know, some, it rained and some water got in the wrong place or your tyre pressure was higher than you thought it was and that you know you just don't control all of these things so you just need to go be flexible to the fact that sometimes these things happen and the most important thing is to know that it could happen and then when it doesn't happen go well at least I knew or if it does happen say well I know all about this so actually please help me in the way that you think is safe I'll make sure that I've got the right pain relief and I'll make sure that I speak up if I don't understand or I'm unhappy with what's happening but I think it's a team and I think you've got to remember that we're all on the same team your team
1: we are, I love that. We are all on the team of that, that woman meeting her baby because we love that moment, don't that's we? just three. magic. I'm sorry, I answered the question. I'm sorry. No, go. no, that's fine. That was, that was a good three. I loved it. It was a passionate three. We can't complain about that. Amna, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for chatting to us today about thank assisted and instrumental birth. And I really hate we've helped put lots of pregnant mums or dads to bees minds at ease that they will be in wonderfully safe hands should they need some assistance from an obstetrician. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Um, It's been actually an Ah. honour. Thanks very much. It's been lovely. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration or details on our bespoke antenatal education head over to my instagram page at midwife underscore pip thank you and see you next time